This is Debbie, and welcome to another brand new episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to live their best life and become location independent. This week, I speak with Leah Garcia, who is a full-time travel blogger. Like many of us, Leah worked at a 9-to-5 for several years before realizing that she needed something more in her life. Although Leah enjoyed her job, she still felt unfulfilled until she began travel blogging. Leah started a blog when she and her husband Jeremy took a year-long honeymoon. What started out as a hobby became her source of fulfillment, and several years later, Leah was able to quit her job to become a full-time travel blogger. One of the main reasons Leah was able to leave her job was due to Mediavine, a company that helps content creators build a sustainable business through ad partnerships on their website. After hitting 25,000 views per month, Leah was able to make money from her site, and today she earns half of her income from Mediavine alone. If you are a content creator and wondering how you can earn a living from your website, visit Mediavine.com to get more information. Today, Leah continues to travel the world with her hubby, Jeremy, while providing humorous and useful tips that encourages her audience to travel authentically. On this episode, Leah shares how to travel on your own terms and appreciate the imperfect moments of travel. This interview was so much fun to do because Leah and I were in San Francisco along with other amazing travel bloggers. Leah gives a lot of incredible tips and tricks, so enjoy the show. Hey, Leah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Can you fill in the gaps of your story and why you live an offbeat life? Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. I am a full-time travel blogger. My blog is called Practical Wanderlust, and it's an offbeat couples travel blog. Um, We write mostly about budget travel. We try to basically find the weirdest stories that we possibly can. That's like our niche. I've been full-time travel blogging only recently, so just for the past like four or five months. And I started my blog uh, in June of 2016, so pretty recently. Um, Things happen really quickly. And it's crazy that I've that I've gotten where I am right now. So, when you first wanted to dive into blogging and travel blogging, what was that like? What were your first steps? Originally, we started our blog two years before that. I came up with the idea. I came up with the name Practical Wanderlust, and I was like, you know, I'm a know-it-all. I have lots of opinions. I give travel advice to my friends all the time. I should have a blog and write about it. I purchased my blog name. I installed WordPress, and I tried to figure it out, and it completely screwed up. I broke the site. Like, it just white screen of death. I couldn't figure it out, and, and I was like, well end of that dream like I completely I had paid for two years of hosting to like make myself do it and after I screwed it up I just didn't do anything with it so fast forward two years my like domain expired and I hadn't done anything with it and I just my husband and I had decided to quit our jobs and become uh, we were going to take like a year-long honeymoon so we wanted to take a year-long honeymoon together um, before we were like married before we had kids it seemed like the opportunity was going to be in this one moment 
moment and possibly, I mean, who knows if that opportunity will ever happen again. So we decided together we wanted to take a year-long honeymoon, so we quit our jobs, and I really knew that I wanted to try to blog again during the trip. I was like, this is going to be a fun hobby that I'll do during our trip. It'll just be like a little hobby to occupy my time in our downtime, whatever. Like I wanted to write for our friends and family. I wanted to just have a place to share what we were doing every day. So I repurchased Practical Wanderlust and repaid for hosting. And I decided to do it on Blogger instead of on WordPress because I used Blogger when I was like 16 and I was like, this will be easy. So it looked very unprofessional at the yeah. beginning, but it's changed a lot since then. Like that, I basically started it out just trying to do it for fun on the side as a hobby during our year long honeymoon. And pretty soon I was working on it as though it was my full time job. And it, my friends and family, you know, they read it sometimes, but pretty soon it was getting a lot more readers. And right now, as of now, we're at about 120,000 readers a month, which is crazy. Like I never imagined. It's been so cool. What was the transition like from your 9 to 5 to where you are now when you fully left? How did you know you were ready to leave? So this was something that I had wanted to do for years. Um, when I graduated from college, I had won a scholarship, so I had a little bit of money, and I decided to go traveling for like a year. I, I, at the time, I was dating somebody, and we spent two weeks backpacking through Europe, and then we spent two weeks road tripping, and I was like, this is so cool. I love traveling. I want to do this more. So from the minute I landed behind a desk sitting in a chair, I was like dreaming of long-term travel. I knew I wanted to go on like a nice long trip, and my parents had both done it in their youth like my dad which is crazy because he's the whitest oldest just <laughs> bougiest guy ever but anyway when he was young he like went on six months backpacking through Southeast Asia and then six months backpacking through Europe and so I always had it in my head that these are things people do sometimes I knew I wanted to do it so I spent five years kind of like slaving it away in my corporate job and working I was working in the fashion industry so it actually was pretty fun like I enjoyed it I didn't hate my job I didn't love it I didn't wake up every day excited to work, but I wasn't feeling fulfilled. So for years I had, I set myself this goal. I want to take a long trip. I want to travel for a year. And I basically set aside a budget for it and saved for five years with this looming deadline in sight. And when I met my husband, I, I even told him, I was like, in three years, I'm gonna be quitting my job and like leaving on this trip. And we had just started dating and it was our second date. And he was like, that sounds fun. Maybe I'll join you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then three years later, I was like, well, we said we were gonna do it. So I've been saving up all this money. Now we gotta do it. So we quit and our jobs were actually surprisingly very supportive. Um, my husband now has returned to his old job. They welcomed him back with open arms. They were like, hope you had fun, get back to work. And I decided that I didn't want to go back to that. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from those years, but I'm loving what I'm doing now. I love full-time blogging. I love that you had a set schedule and you knew exactly when you were going to leave. And that was even before you met your husband. You're like, you're either going to go with me or you're not, but I'm going anyway. That's amazing, Leah. <laughs> What your life looked like when you had your day job to now must look so different. Can you tell us a little bit more of what your average day looks like now that you're doing this full time? Yeah, definitely. I spend a lot of time documenting my day-to-day -day life on Instagram stories. So 
I definitely spend a, like a little too much time entertaining myself, but so every day of the week is sort of, I, I like to batch assign myself tasks. I decide that that entire day I'm going to devote to writing a blog post or doing my email sequences or pitching for sponsors. Um, and I basically commit to doing it for an entire day. And that way I'm able to not get sidetracked by other tasks. Cause I'm like, okay, today is my email day. So I don't have time to go on Instagram cause it's not my Instagram day. So I don't don't get like sucked into an Instagram hole or whatever. And that helps me really stay focused and like stay on task. Cause otherwise being a blogger, you know, there's a zillion tasks that you have to do every day. You have to master all these different skills and do all these different jobs. And for me, it's easy to get overwhelmed when I have a task list that I'm looking at and it's just, it's always a thousand lines long. Um, so I have to section it off very carefully. So an average day for me, I wake up embarrassingly late. <laughs> I So an ideal day for me would be that I wake up at like seven and I'm working by eight, basically. <laughs> that may or may not always happen, but so first thing I do is I answer my emails. I usually have a few emails from readers that I respond to right away. I have a few emails, people asking me for sponsorships, and I usually just respond with, what's your budget? And maybe I'll post an Instagram picture for the day. Then I will decide, basically, this is my task. Usually I know what my task is for the day. Um, I'll work for several hours. I find that I'm most productive in the morning, so I really like to commit to really like just getting it all out as much as possible early. And then around midday, so like 12 or 2, I go to the gym. I kind of really find that I need to step back, take a break from whatever I'm doing, yeah. go be active. It gives me a boost of energy, and that'll kind of carry me until the rest of the day. And then typically I work until 5 or 6. Honestly, <laughs> there's a blind in front of my window that is broken, and so the sun comes in and, like, shines in my eyes, and that's my, like, cue to stop working. I'm like, oh, right, I can't see anymore. I should probably turn off the computer. But I'm kind of a workaholic. I'll work until 7, we'll eat dinner, and then we'll watch Netflix or whatever, and I'll usually be working on my computer, which is such a bad habit. My husband does it too. Yeah, and then I try to really take, like, the weekends off. That's one of my, the things that's important for me is not always working on the weekends. Like, maybe I'll check email or something like that, but I don't want to spend entire days working. So I have to be careful to write my blog posts early so that I don't, if I don't write my blog posts and publish it, like, Thursday or early Friday, I'll end up basically basically spending my entire Friday night in at home writing a blog post, which is not what I want to be doing now that I'm a full-time blogger. Like that's way too much. Yeah. So I basically, I know that like I have this deliverable that I have to hit. I have a blog post that I have to publish Thursday or Friday. The beginning of the week is sort of, you know, I, I'll have like a monthly target. So I have a monthly calendar and, and every day on that calendar has a deliverable on it. So this is my tax day. This is my email day. This is my pitch day. And then I have a really big whiteboard that has all of my long-term goals, projects that I'm working on, things I need to complete. And then I have a daily task list. And I'm sort of just bouncing in between those. I work at a stand-up desk too. So I'm literally bouncing in between them. Yeah. It's, it really helps with my energy levels. Um, yeah. So I'm like cross-referencing 23 lists and like chugging coffee essentially and posting on Instagram <laughs> stories. That's about it. <laughs> this doesn't sound like what most people would think an average day for a travel blogger would be, right? Because a lot of things that people think is that you're just traveling full-time all the time, that you're never home. What is the 
reality versus fantasy people think they're going to be doing if they do want to go into this business? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've kind of been on both sides of it. Since I, I started the blog when I was traveling for a year, and that was sort of my taste of digital nomad life and what it's like to be traveling and blogging at the same time. And it's really exhausting, actually, to travel all the time. It's not sustainable. It's really hard to travel to a whole new place, try to get adjusted, try to like figure out what's going on, and then go home and be productive for eight hours and put in the work. So what I found while I was traveling is that I had to set aside entire days. So we would have our travel day and our exploration day and our hiking day or whatever, and then I would have three or four days where I was literally just sitting in a hostel or sitting in a coffee shop and just working. And sure, that's boring that I quit my job, went abroad, and then worked, but we needed the downtime because constant travel is just, it's exhausting. And that was essentially, because I was able to work on it like it was a full-time job, that's really what gave me that push to be able to build up the blog as I went. And so when we returned back to the right, like to regular life, I actually did do a stint for a while where I was working at a day job and blogging at night, and I it was so exhausting. I was working on the weekends and I didn't like it. I was working constantly. So now that I'm a full-time blogger, I'm really careful to not schedule myself so much travel that it makes it so that I can't work because I enjoy working. I wouldn't be doing it if I wasn't, if I didn't enjoy it. And when I travel, I try not to work while I'm traveling because I am able to come back and, and do it afterwards, which really helps me like actually be more in the moment and enjoy it. I do travel. Right now I travel probably like most weekends or I try to go on a couple or two or three international trips during the year maybe like three or four actually I probably go on like a domestic trip where we fly somewhere in the United States like every month at this point it's actually I do travel quite a bit but if I if they're too close together then I can't catch up on work I get overwhelmed I get behind I have too many emails I maybe I worked with a hotel somewhere that I was that I was traveling and I promised them a blog post and it's three months later and I had no time to do it and that's so stressful and not professional. So I have to set some boundaries with myself and say, you know, this is a vacation and I'm working or now I'm at home and I'm I'm either working or I'm not working. I'm either vacation or I'm not vacation. And like the line gets blurred and I have to be very intentional about my time or it's way too exhausting. And the perception that travel bloggers are traveling all the time is some are, I think. I'm not. <laughs> I'm at home on my computer. But I do, I mean, I do travel more than the average person, but I need that time. Like I need that time at home to decompress and catch up. A lot of people would be surprised how much work it actually takes to be a travel blogger and in this industry altogether because you can't just travel full time because you won't make any money. So you have to have downtime to be able to do all this work. And you're traveling because that's part of your content and technically that is working for you because you're also creating content. And there's a huge difference for traveling for leisure and traveling for work. And it's not the same experience, at least for me. I don't know if that that's what it's like for you. When you are traveling with Jeremy, because you're a couple and this is your blog together, well, mostly you, <laughs> obviously, how do you balance travel and work and your relationship together and still have a healthy relationship? It was difficult at first because for me, we both had agreed 
initially starting out that this vlog was a fun hobby and that when it wasn't fun, I would stop doing it. I think Jeremy had this vision of me becoming a workaholic, becoming stressed, and spending more time in the vlog than enjoying this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, which is a really valid concern. But I actually really enjoy working a lot. So he would see me working late nights. He would see me like up at 2 in the morning on the hostel bunk bed beneath him, like typing away, and he's like, these are warning signs to me. But actually, I was enjoying it. I was inspired. I was motivated. I wanted to create content. So we kind of had a period of time where he was trying to push back against the blog and I was trying to move forward. Like he was trying to, to slow it down and say, let's spend less time on Instagram. Let's spend less time taking pictures. And I was saying, no, I'm enjoying this. Let's do more. Um, and I think I've always enjoyed it. I think more than Jeremy. He basically, he does the, the digital aspect. So he does the photography. He does video. I tried to get him to do Instagram for a while. Neither of us enjoy Instagram particularly. And he does actually write for me as well. But he, for him, it's not as fun as it is for me. So he didn't really understand why I wanted to spend so much time doing it when to him it, it was more like a chore. So there are definitely times that we have to set some boundaries. We have to say, okay, we're going to spend two hours taking pictures this morning and then we're going to clock off and we're just going to go do stuff and enjoy ourselves for the rest of the day. Or we'll say, maybe we'll do a little bit of research and we'll see how many people have written about this experience. If a ton of people have already covered it, we can just say fuck it. We're just going to enjoy it. Like We don't have to write about it. Everybody else is writing about it. So we kind of have to pre-plan a little bit and decide what we're going to write about and what we're not. And honestly, the times that we can just like, wing it and just travel for fun, they're not as common as you might think, I guess, because we're usually documenting and taking pictures. But when it does happen, we're both just like, all right, we can just... <laughs> right now, we're traveling with a bunch of other people. Yeah. And so that means that they're all taking pictures. So yeah. I don't have to be the one taking pictures. You know what I mean? Like stuff like yeah. that where I'm like, all right, somebody else has got this. We've moved past the point where he's like, this doesn't seem fun. It seems like you're spending too much time with it. Now it's paying our bills. So he's like, all right, I get it. Like we do have to spend three hours taking pictures of you flipping your hair in the street. Fine. <laughs> Okay, that's work. <laughs> so we've definitely moved into a place where um, when we travel, he understands, like, if the, tr if the trip is a work trip or if yeah. it's a play trip, like, he's on board either way. It definitely takes a very special person to be with someone who is in this industry. If you're not interested in this, and you put up with a lot of stuff from us, but once you realize we make money from this, you're like, all right. Now we can do this more. Oh, we get to travel too and do a lot of fun stuff. That's even better. <laughs> you have gone through so many things. What has been the biggest setback that you've faced through it all? And how do you usually come up from that? I guess the biggest setback for us would be that when we were doing our year-long honeymoon, we had a vision of what we thought it was going to be like. We, you know, you see people on Instagram, especially couples, they are beautiful, they have 23 abs each, they're tan, they, they're just blonde, they're just gorgeous, and they're just standing in exotic locations being gorgeous together. And we were like, that's going to be us. We're just going to develop abs and become tan and blonde somehow. And then we arrived in South America for the first half of our trip, and we were like, oh my god, we're just hot and we're sweaty and we're tired and all of our pictures look like shit like we look nothing like those people and we were like is it is it us like what's wrong with us and it took us a while to sort of choke down that disappointment that we weren't that travel couple capital T capital C like travel couple this is not us we do not wake up at sunrise except for this morning but aside from that we don't wake up at sunrise we don't do sunrise yoga we don't eat vegetarian or vegan 
We're just like regular fucking people. And so after a while, we had this, I don't know, this sort of just weird expectation, like this very heightened expectation about what our trip was going to be like. And the biggest setback for us, I guess, was just like this crushing realization of just reality. So we had all these repeated travel fails that kept happening to us where... We would think that we were going to be, like, really fit and active because, you know, at home, like, we hiked, we went to the gym, whatever. Normal people, gym stuff. But, like, we were like, when we're backpacking, we're going to be so fit. So we planned all these really intense hikes. The first week that we showed up to South America, we went to Colombia, and we were supposed to do this six-day-long jungle trek called La Ciudad Perdida. It's, like, this abandoned civilization in, like, the Colombian jungle. We were like, yeah, this is going to be so great. And then we got there, and it was, like, a 1,000 degrees. I couldn't even walk up a hill because I was too hot. And I was like, nah, dude. This isn't happening. So we skipped that one. And that was really like the first sign that things weren't going to go as we anticipated. So after that, we tried to do a three-day trek in the Andes in Ecuador called the Kilatoa Loop. We made the first day barely. We got lost. We ended up crawling up a hand, like a mountain on our hands and knees. So we like got really lost. We like asked this farmer for instructions. And basically, (laughs) this dog had been chasing us on his property. And we thought we were going to die. And we were like, okay, we're really lost. We were speaking Spanish. He was speaking Quechua, so that was a little complicated. But basically, we got the gist. He turned around, and he pointed up the mountain behind us, and he was like, there, you have to go up there. Oh, there's a, that's just a vertical mountain. He was like, yeah, climb, like crawl. So we just crawled up this mountain on our hands and knees to get back to the trail. So that wasn't good. And then it took forever, and by the end of it, Jeremy was limping really badly. And the second day, we couldn't hike at all because we were in too much pain. And the third day, we like attempted to finish the hike, but by the end of it, Jeremy Jeremy was limping so badly that we had to actually hitchhike the rest of it. So it was like a complete, like, every day was just a fail. And then the next one, Jeremy went hiking at this at Laguna 69 in Juarez, Peru, which is at, like, 16,000 fucking feet. And he managed to do it, which is great, but I was sick at home with altitude sickness, so I didn't even bother. And then the very last, just most, like, crushing defeat, we tried to hike the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. It cost a lot of money, so we were like, yeah, we're going to do it. Like we already paid a bucket of money. We just we're just gonna have to suck it up. The night before the hike, Jeremy's hiking pants were like eaten in the laundry. Oh my and then that was like a sign and I was like, we shouldn't do this. This is a bad idea. He was like, no, we're gonna try, we're gonna try. The very first day of the hike, we were so slow and behind everybody else that the guides pulled us aside and they were like, you either have to start hiking at 4 a.m. and you'll be done at 8 p.m. or you can turn around and go back and take the train and meet us in Machu Picchu. And we were like, fine, you know what? it we took the fucking train it was just like reality we're not instagram travel couples we're not beautiful and fit we're just two regular people and we like to sleep until 10 and then we like to get coffee and then around 1 p.m we wake up and we do one thing and then we go and sit in the hostel and watch netflix and that's us and that was us for a whole year and once we like accepted that that shining vision of who we wanted to be disappeared, things actually got a lot better for us. And like, that's when I really found my voice as a blogger of the people instead of like the regular people instead of like the beautiful Instagrammers. It was a crushing defeat, but it actually ended up being really good for us. What you do with your blog, this is you. This is how you do travel and that's your niche. And a lot of people do the same travel. And I feel like it's so much more authentic because travel is not perfect. If anything, there's so much 
much that goes wrong. And I think what we see a lot in social media is not reality. And when finally, when people are able to travel and they don't have the same experiences, they feel like they've been gypped, like they've been lied to. But what you do and what you and Jeremy go through and what you talk about is really what happens and it's reality. <laughs> and I think that's what people love more. And also, I knew, I know you from social media, obviously, and I actually am meeting Leah for the first time. I just met her <laughs> today on top of the mountain. So this is another beauty about social media is you meet people like Leah, who is really interesting and has an offbeat life. And we're here with a bunch of other travel bloggers, and we have been generously sponsored by Mediavine. Can you tell us a little bit about this company? I like to think of Mediavine as the company that pays my bills. So it's not easy to make money as a travel blogger. That's always the first question that I get asked. How do you actually earn money? Do you actually get paid? How are you eating right now? And it's a valid question because it's kind of a, like a new industry. We're all still figuring it out. Not a lot of people get what it is to be a blogger or what's the difference between a blogger, an influencer, a content creator. It's really confusing. But there are a few companies that I think have identified the value of being a content creator and a blogger and really are like rallying to that cry and Mediavine is one of those companies. It was founded by food bloggers actually and so a lot of the people that are part of it are food bloggers but essentially what Mediavine is, it's an ad company. It's like an ad management company. So a lot of people put Google AdSense ads on their blog. Um, Mediavine places ads for me that have to do with my content and they negotiate for me a higher rate. So Basically, in a nutshell, Mediavine puts all the ads on my site that you see. They manage them. They make sure that they're fitting of the content, and they make sure that they're paying me a high rate to access my viewership. And that means that they pay me quite a bit of money. So Mediavine is, it's about 50% of my income, the, the income that I earn from Mediavine. They really like allow me to be a full-time blogger. If it weren't for that steady, regular paycheck every single month on the first of the month that I get from Mediavine, it would be almost impossible to do what I do and feel confident that I'm able to pay my rent. So they are crucial. I love them. They treat me so well. They treat all of their bloggers so well. And I just, I can't say enough nice things to them. My like number one tip that I have for new bloggers is that Mediavine has a requirement that you need to have 25,000 sessions per month in order to join. My number one recommendation for new bloggers is to hit that 25,000 sessions as soon as you possibly can. Apply for Mediavine. And it's just, it makes the world of difference for monetizing your blog. I've talked to several bloggers about this and they all have talked about Mediavine and how crucial it is to their life right now because it's a lot of where their income is. And also you can look at Leah's income report on her blog Practical Wonderlust and she shows you more about how she's making money as a blogger and how she was able to transition from her nine to five to this life right now, which is incredible because she has that freedom lifestyle that we all want. You talk to a lot of people, you go to events, you travel the world. What has been the worst advice that someone has given you? <laughs> 
Oh, man. I think the worst advice is always to do something for the money. If you do something because somebody is paying you to do it and that's the only reason why, you're not putting your business first. You're putting the short term first. Let's say that, you know, a luxury brand offers to pay me to stay at their hotel. That sounds like what dreams are made of. Hell yeah, I want to go to some luxury hotel in some beautiful destination and stay there and write a blog post about it. But from a standpoint of the long term, what I actually have to think about is, does this create value for my readers? Does this create value for the people that are actually trusting me to give them travel advice? And our readers are not luxury travelers. They're budget travelers. They're backpackers. They're people that work nine to five and travel as much as they can, but they can't afford to stay at like these super fancy places. So when I'm pocketing that money and giving them the recommendation to stay somewhere incredibly fancy, I'm not being authentic to my brand and I'm not I'm doing my readers a disservice. So it's not like I never stay in luxury places. I do, but I try to frame it in a way that makes sense for my readers. So for example, I'm not going to say you have to stay at this luxury resort. This is the only way to experience this place. I, I give options. I say something like, you can stay at this hostel, you can stay at this mid-range place, or if you really want to splurge, you can stay at this luxury hotel. Basically, you have to consider your readers first and foremost and not be thinking about what is best for you or what you want. If you just are trying to travel as much as you can and earn money in any way that you can, it's going to be a short-term enjoyment, but it's not going to last you in the long run. In the long run, putting your readers first is more important than putting your own enjoyment first. And also the money comes as you keep going, and you have to be very picky with who you work with because that's what people are going to see you as from the beginning until hopefully you make this into your company and your business. So people really notice those things, and if you have your feed and your blog and it's all ridiculous ads that has nothing to do with you or what you stand for, it's going to show and people are going to unfollow and they're not going to read anymore. Can you share one productivity tip that has worked for you now that you are doing this for yourself and this is your bread and butter? When it comes to productivity, a few things really work for me. I found that I need to write things down by hand. When I use an electronic method of making to-do lists, I make them and then I never look at them again. So I got a giant whiteboard and I put that up next to my computer so that when a thought pops into my head, I don't have to stop what I'm doing. Again, I'm working at a standing desk. That's like number one. It's just got a standing desk. I love it. Definitely makes me more productive. Having things written down, it both helps me remember that I need to do them and it makes it somehow more concrete. Like it's more, it helps me be more accountable. So that's really important. I mentioned earlier about just batch scheduling my days. So like devoting an entire day to one specific task. I have my photo editing day. I have my email day. I have my pitch day. That really helps because if I do everything little by little, I'm not making a lot of progress in anything. But if I devote an entire day to one task, I can knock out that task. Another one would be if you can do something in under two minutes, just do it. Just yeah. suck it up and just do it. Send that email, whatever it is. Put that put that like comment that you've been meaning to put. I don't know. Whatever it is. If you can do it in under two minutes, just do it. That one has been really helpful for me. 
Achieving your goals and your dreams are it's obviously not easy. And especially when you're trying to balance your relationship, your real life, if you have a day job. How do you deal with anxiety and stress when you're faced with them? Because there's so many things happening in all of our lives. Yeah, I definitely am prone to getting overwhelmed. If I have a lot of things going on, I get overwhelmed, I get anxious, and I just shut down. I can't do anything because I'm so overwhelmed with so many things that I have to do. So the best things for me, first of all, stepping away, forgiving myself for being overwhelmed. I have days where I don't get anything done and I just have to say, that's okay. I can't beat myself up about it. That'll make me more anxious. Sometimes I just give myself, you know, I give myself the day off. Today is going to be a day I focus on me. Luckily, right now I'm able to do that. But if I were working at a day job, I might just say, you know, today's the day that I'm going to check out and be on Reddit all day or whatever. Stepping away, like going to the gym, going for a hike, going for a walk, just doing things around the house, doing mindless things like cleaning or like gardening or whatever that like takes my mind off of whatever I'm supposed to be working on actually clears my mind and helps me refocus and kind of come back with fresh eyes. And then once I'm able to clear my head, accept the fact that I'm overwhelmed, be okay with it, breathe through it, um, and then come back to it, then what really helps me is breaking everything down into short little manageable chunks. For example, one of the pro the big projects that I tackled this recent year was another full-time blogger and I decided to start a website that was about social media, essentially um, helping other bloggers to use social media to glow their blogs. And our blog is called Slaying Social. The other blogger is Christina from Happy to Wander. So basically we had to sit down and break this giant idea of launching this brand new site into these manageable chunks. So essentially we mapped the entire thing out and this was a process that took, you know, like a, like a few months. But once we had it mapped out, then we could start checking stuff off and then it could go to this list that we had that like a, it was like a shared document and I could say, hey, today I bought our hosting and she would say, oh great, I picked out our color scheme. Do you like it? And once it was written out every single task that we needed to do, then we were able to go through the list and actually get things done and without committing it to paper, it would have just remained like this idea floating in the air that we were both too overwhelmed to actually begin. What legacy do you want to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? That's a really good question. And honestly, it's something I think about all the time. When I was sitting behind a desk at my corporate job, I didn't feel like I was helping the world. I had all these lofty dreams and lofty goals. I originally got into the fashion industry out of college. Um, and that's what I studied in college because the fashion industry is the largest industry in the world and it employs more than any other industry. And I wanted to be able to do things like create ethical jobs in factories abroad and create clothing that was made in an ethical way and paid a fair wage and like I had all these dreams. I would still like to do that but what I ended up doing was sitting at the desk behind a giant corporation and helping the company's bottom line and I wasn't directly impacting the world. I was impacting the company. I was making the company more money but was the company impacting the world? I don't know. That was kind of not up to me, right? I had to trust that they were and it didn't feel great. It, it felt like I wasn't living my life authentically. It felt like I was sort of waiting for something. I was like waiting for something different, but I didn't quite know what. And it kind of felt like I was watching my life pass me by. So after five years of that, I wanted to authentically and, and conscientiously make a positive impact on the world. And I didn't quite know what that was going to be. I was thinking maybe I would volunteer more or get involved with some other entity that was doing good in the world. But what ended up happening is that my blog became the way that I was able to do that. So the legacy that I want to leave on the world and what I think that I'm doing right now with my blog, or I hope I am, 
is that I want to show the world that, first of all, traveling is an important way to bridge communications, to bridge differences, to help knit this global society together in a way that I think unites us. But to show that when you travel, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to look a certain way. It doesn't have to have a certain picture that you take. It doesn't have to feel a certain way. It's okay if you travel and it sucks, or if you travel and it's exhausting or overwhelming, or you and your partner fought a lot, or you got hangry, or you got lost, or stranded on the side of the road. And I want to show that it's okay to not look a certain way and not feel a certain way. And to just travel anyway and it's and forgive yourself if it's not perfect and enjoy it anyway and just be a little bit more free and a little bit more unencumbered. And so when I'm traveling as an individual, but more so when I'm speaking on a platform, is I'm impacting communities, I'm impacting societies, I'm impacting small business owners, I'm impacting locals, and I'm sort of shaping the ways in which travelers and local communities interact with one another. And I just feel so much more rewarding every day. I get this positive reinforcement and this feedback that what I'm doing is actually making a difference. I feel like I'm living my authentic, real life. I feel fully engaged with the world and with what I want to be. And I feel like the legacy that I am creating is actually the person that I want to become and the legacy that I want to create. If you would have asked me, you know, two years ago, do you feel like you're going to be leaving the legacy that you want? I would have said no. I would have said, not really. Maybe I'll have family and then I'll leave that legacy, right? But now I'm able to have that dream too, but also also to have this other bigger dream that is actually being realized um, and I feel like I am creating the legacy that I always wanted to which is so cool I'm, I just I love it. I also loved when we first started talking you said that you felt like when you were still at your job you were waiting for something to happen you were waiting for your life to finally start and now once you left your job it's starting and you're making more of an impact as an individual working for yourself and choosing exactly who you want to work with than when you were doing fashion and doing other things and this is why I do this podcast, honestly, because there's a lot of people who feel like they can't get to the point where they can leave a mark like that or whatever it is that they're doing, they're still waiting. It's like you're just in an elevator and you're stuck there and you either want to go up or down and you just want to know which way to go. And listening to your story is so inspiring because a lot of people are still in that spot and they don't know which way to go or they do want to leave, but they don't know how to exit. So, let's get to some fun questions. <laughs> some people like myself, I love nerding out on interviewing inspiring people like you and hiking and hanging out with crazy people <laughs> like we're doing today. What about you? What do you nerd out on? I nerd out on lots of things. I'm a big nerd. I nerd out on spreadsheets. I fucking love, like my entire life is decided by spreadsheets. I once, recently I had an opportunity. I was offered a job, basically my dream job. Um, if I were doing my old like corporate job, that would have been my dream job. And I made a spreadsheet to decide if I should be a full-time travel blogger or if I should go to that dream job. And it was like my life spreadsheet. Um, so I nerd out about spreadsheets. I nerd out about numbers, like real nerdy shit. Um, <laughs> 
Um, I also nerd out about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm such a Lord of the Rings fangirl. Oh my god. Just something about like reading 3,000 pages of people walking in New Zealand or wherever. I know it's not New Zealand, but I'm picturing New Zealand in my head. It just makes me want to go just like hike things. I nerd out about Harry Potter. Love Harry Potter. I nerd out about reality TV. Really shitty reality TV. Like the worse, the more satisfying. I nerd out about feminist theory. Love me some feminism. Intersectional, of course. I nerd out about karaoke. My husband and I are like aggressive karaokeers. We compete. Yeah, I nerd out about lots of things. I don't know. If there's a subject that I am excited about, I will find a way to turn it into something nerdy. And I'll be like, actually, did you know that the history and the like nobody cares but me? Yeah. And that's why your blog is so thorough and it's really entertaining as well because Leah, as you can tell, she's very funny. And I remembered you talking to us about that decision that you had to make because your job did offer you your dream job and you were trying to make a decision. How did you decide to follow this path as a travel blogger instead of that quote unquote dream job that you had before? Before I left and on our year-long honeymoon, before I quit, I liked my job. I did. I had a good job. I had a good life. It wasn't, you know, perfect. It wasn't like I woke up every day and, like, jumped out of bed singing. Um, but I liked it, and I enjoyed my job. I didn't hate it. I didn't, you know, again, didn't jump out of bed singing. Didn't hate it. There's a nice middle ground there that was very comfortable. Um, when I returned after my year of travel, I was fortunate enough to be offered a position at a company that I actually idolized and that really, like, aligns with my beliefs. Um, they're really good stewards of the outdoors, and they offered me a position that would basically be a big step up from my job that I'd quit a year earlier. It was like, it had senior in the title, and it had a real nice salary, and I'd be moving somewhere really cool, and it was great on paper. Um, and so I was actually really, really torn for several months. I had been like sort of trying to make it work as a travel blogger by avoiding going to job interviews and not applying to things, which was what I was supposed to be doing. This is when we had first moved back to San Francisco. So we were like trying to find a place to live, looking at rent prices and crying. So when this job opportunity came up, I was really intrigued, and because I, and, I knew if it was a year earlier, old Leah would have jumped on that immediately. She would have been like, yes, this is the kind of company I want to work for. I, I agree with them. I support them. I personally like really enjoy their products, and this is a huge opportunity. I'm going to make like, lots of money. I'm going to be able to design entire... I, basically, my job was to like design software for end users. Real boring stuff, but whatever. But I was excited about it, and so I like went to the interview, and I was walking around and picturing myself living in this place and I don't know it wasn't an immediate yes um, sort of like they say or I say if you're going to marry somebody and you aren't like 100% no doubts ready to jump in you probably shouldn't do it it kind of felt like that it was like I'm not totally ready to jump in head first so I made a spreadsheet and <laughs> my spreadsheet basically so it was it's not just a decision about me and what I wanted to do. It also involved my husband, who's my partner. And if we were going to move to a new place, there was a lot of considerations about his job and what he would be doing and whether he would be happy. And so we made a spreadsheet together. And essentially, it listed out the things that we valued in life. So things like being able to afford things without having to worry about our next paycheck or um, being able to walk around our neighborhood or being able to take weekend trips or things like that. Um, and we assigned a numerical value to each of those things. 
and this is so nerdy. I'm such a dork. And then we totaled it up at the bottom. And what we what we saw was that overall, when it came to like all of the things that we, were the life that we wanted to lead and what we wanted our lives to look like, the numbers said that we should stay in San Francisco and I should be a full-time travel blogger. And it was actually pretty clear. We actually threw in a third option into the mix too. Um, I wanted to go and just like be a digital nomad for a year and just like travel and be in Bali or whatever, like that dream. I was buying into it again. And, and my husband, I scored really highly. Like I would be really happy in that scenario. And my husband wouldn't because he wouldn't feel like he was contributing and he's a teacher and his kids are in Oakland and that's yeah. where he wanted to be. So that one was, I was happy, but he wasn't. If we were to move to this other location and like work at this other job, it turns out we both would have been like mediocrely happy. But if we stayed in the Bay Area, we both would have been really happy. So that's what we ended up doing. And I think going through that incredibly nerdy process of like assigning numerical values to what mattered to us um, and then just like seeing how they totaled up really helped us get clarity. Um, and I actually did like write more about this process in a blog post if anybody is like trying to make a spreadsheet out there, <laughs> the one other person that's like, yes, yeah, spreadsheets are life, it's on my blog, <laughs> I got you. That also helps with a lot of anxiety and decision-making when you're faced with something really big like that because that's a huge step for you, that's a really big decision. That's life-changing decision, choosing which path you're gonna go on to in your life. So that actually is a good exercise there, Leah. If you were given a one-minute ad slot in the Super Bowl with the potential to reach millions, what would you fill it with? You know, honestly, I would probably do some like horrible joke. Like I wouldn't take it seriously. I don't know. That or I would do something really like social justice-y. <laughs> really get to the hearts and minds of people. Change their like minds, but also make them laugh. But of course, I have no idea how to do that, which is why I'm not a YouTuber, I'm a blogger. I don't know how to make visual content that changes people's minds. I can just talk at them for a long time and see if, yeah, hopefully they, uh, hopefully they listen. <laughs> What is the most unusual job you've ever had and what was the best thing that you've learned from it? So I was actually a Walt Disney World cast member. Yeah. Yep, it was awesome. I worked at Soren at the time it was Soren over California in Epcot and Walt Disney World. It was the Disney College program and it was so much fun. Oh my god, I loved it. It was like right as I was turning 21. So I got to drink my way around the world in Epcot for my birthday. Oh, it was awesome. It was such like an incredible experience and honestly, I wish that I would have stuck around and done it for longer. Like I wish I would have extended because I did the really practical thing and I left early because I wanted to get more retail experience on my resume because I was trying to go into the fashion industry, which is disgusting. Like who leaves a job at Walt Disney World to go work at Forever 21? But that's literally what I did. <laughs> but screw that girl. She was an idiot. While I was working at Walt Disney World, it was so much fun. I literally got to go to Disney for free every day with my friends. And I go back to Disney World still all the time. And I'm always just, yes, this is my other home. <laughs> I love it. I can see you in Disney right now doing this because you're so, your personality is incredible. <laughs> Having traveled to so many different places, what has been the most life-altering or changing meeting you've ever encountered? There's always a lot of little moments, I think, over time. There's, there's not necessarily one 
moment that I can look at and be like, that, that was it. That was the one. But there's been a lot of moments that told me something. I didn't quite know the answer yet, but it gave me some idea of where, of what the answer was that I would figure out later. Um, so like, for example, um, I was talking earlier about that, like really disastrous hike in the Kilatoa Loop in the Andes in Ecuador, where we were like really, really lost, really injured. Jeremy was limping. I was just miserable. The whole thing was just such a shit show. And we were on day three. So we were just trying to like make it to the end just so we could say that we had done it. And we see this woman coming around a bend and she's an indigenous Quechua woman. So she's dressed in traditional Andean clothing, which is like a fedora and like a shawl and a skirt. And she's like a thousand years old, just a walking weathered corpse. And as soon as she sees us, <laughs> she looks really nice. I'm sorry. That sounded like a lot meaner than it was supposed to. But as soon as she sees us, her face just broke into this giant toothless grin. And she stretched out her hands to us. And we just sort of fairly slowly like limped toward each other. Sort of just this sad version of Baywatch. Just like with that chariots of fire music playing. And so she, we like eventually meet each other. And she clasps our hands which were just sweaty and disgusting and her like warm dry weathered corpse like hands and she just grins at us and we didn't say anything we just stood there just gazing at each other's eyes and then she continued along on her way and I swear to god we our entire days were like brightened like after meeting her it was just we felt like we had been blessed by some like Andean like abuela magic we were just that was it like that was what we needed today and I want to say that her little dash of abuela magic enabled us to finish the hike and like check it off our list but it didn't actually what it made <laughs> us do is realize we really should stop hiking and get to a doctor because we are limping so badly so we pulled off and hitchhiked and didn't finish the hike and forgave ourselves for not finishing it and I think it was one step in realizing that we are not those hikers we are not those travelers and that's okay and even if we didn't finish it and even if it wasn't an item we could check off our list that didn't matter and that was I think what eventually was what we were going to discover so yeah I love the Ebola magic that you you encountered. <laughs> what are you working on today that's really exciting to you? Oh man, so many things. <laughs> right now, by like a most immediate task for this month, I'm working on my Pinterest course for slaying social. I credit Pinterest with being the social media that got me the page views that I needed to really sort of kickstart my blog. So I love Pinterest and it gets me about 20,000 views per month, which it's been doing for over a year for me just steadily. So I'm writing a course that will essentially talk about all the things that I use Pinterest for and how I use it and why I think it's really important for bloggers. So that's a really big one. I have all these dreams up in the air. Like I want to write a book and I want to have a podcast, but I'm not like actively working on them. That's like the big one that I'm actually working on right now. So I think, yeah, that's the biggest one right now. <laughs> if our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Please come stalk me at my blog, Practical Wanderlust. You can also stalk me on Instagram. Basically, I say stalk, but it's like it's a good thing. Like, I want you to want to know more about me. That's very flattering for me. So anyway, practicalwanderlust.com. On Instagram, Practical Wanderlust. Facebook, Practical Wanderlust. Uh, Pinterest, 
Practical W, that one I didn't have all the uh, all the characters I needed, and Twitter's Practical Wander. Um, you know, just go to my blog. Like I have all the links there. Come to my blog. We'll hang out. It'll be great. Also follow me on Instagram because my stories are pretty good every day. Especially if you want to know like what is she doing every day, and I don't know like how do you pronounce photos? That's a question that I answer um, <laughs> in my Instagram stories. So <laughs> that's an inside joke that you wouldn't get unless you see my Instagram stories. <laughs> so you'll just have to go watch it, I guess. Leah's stories are really entertaining and she's extremely funny and she also gives a lot of tips on her stories as well besides her um, blog of course. Thank you so much Leah for joining me here today. I'm so happy to finally meet you in person. We've talked for so long. We've had mutual friends that we all met today which was great and thank you again Media Vine for sponsoring us. Yay! Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Leah. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview with Leah to find out how to use your humor and personality to build a dedicated following.